different types of struggles and challenges that we face in relationships. And we're going to show a video clip here and uh, in just a moment. And it's from Karate Kid 2, which I do, but I grew up on these movies. And so you see a lot of the movies I grew up on if you come to our church. And uh, I was watching this with my kids recently, and I was showing them, you know, Karate Kid 1 and 2. They had never seen 2, so as we were watching it, we we're just all watching it in bed, and, and like, this scene shows up, and I'm like, man, that's perfect for what I want to be talking about in a few weeks. So I jotted it down, and, and uh, so here it is. This is a, a, a clip on forgiveness, and so we're just going to run this clip right now. It's a clip on forgiveness. That's not fair. I got second place. Second place? Second place is no place. You're off the team. That sucks. I did my best. What did you say? I said I did my best. You're nothing. You lost. You're a loser. No, you're the loser, man. Oh, I'm the loser, huh? Yeah. Now, who's the loser? You know, you're really sick, man. Hey! Hey, come on! Hey! Don't! Don't. How does second place feel now, huh? Come on, he can't breathe. Mind your business. He's gonna kill him. Sensei, please, you're hurting him. He's sorry, okay? He really is. Please. Let him go. Yeah, yeah, is right. Let him go. I say, let him go. Beat it slow, or you're next. face you, he is enemy. Enemy deserve no mercy. Daniel-san, ladies no wait forever. You could have killed him, couldn't you? I... Well, why didn't you then? Because, Daniel-san, for person with no forgiveness in heart, living even worse punishment than death. Don't you wish you had Mr. Miyagi just to kind of walk with you in life, to teach you lessons? For a person with no forgiveness in heart, that's even worse punishment than death. What he's saying is bitterness takes root of a person. Unforgiveness takes root in our heart and it just poisons the rest of our life. It poisons us. Our ability to relate to each other just gets choked out. And, and healthy relationships become problems because there's something wrong in the inside of us. And so, um, man, I love those movies. I think it's because my senior picture... You have to imagine, because most of you didn't know me, but I had hair back in high school, and, and my senior picture up against Ralph Macchio was nearly identical, I thought. So. Back then. Ralph's not looking that hot these days. So, uh, but back then, you know. Anyway, I should stop and just continue on. So, We're... Um, <clears throat> 
we are people that struggle all the time with forgiveness. And so it's, it's something we all wrestle with. You see this at the top of your outline. We're going to walk through a passage of Scripture, Matthew chapter 18. We, we, it doesn't matter how mature you are, this is a struggle for all of us. We're going to face over and over and over the need to forgive other people. If there's an unforgiving, if, if you have unforgiveness in any relationship, it will spread. It's going to impact other things. So if you're harboring some sort of hurt or offense towards somebody else, and, and you think, well, it's probably not a problem. We've done the best we can. Uh, but really, you really haven't done the best you can with it, and it's still strained. Um, that, that is a major, major red flag. It's going to poison some things. This is an issue that you have to keep wrestling down. It's kind of like if you've wrestled with a puppy before and how they never run out of energy. You can always wrestle with the puppy. And you know, they're just, you're like, man, are they tired? And jump back up and then do it again. This area is something you have to keep an eye on. To ignore this is extremely dangerous. So as we work through the issue this morning, we're going to answer a few questions. One of them is, what does it really look like to practice forgiveness? Like, what's the practical side of this? How can I forgive without acting like what they did was okay? Because sometimes when we forgive, that's a big question in our mind. Like, is this going to work out fair? And that might be something you're wrestling with. Another question is, where can I find the strength to forgive and then forgive again? And then the strength to forgive again. And then what is forgiveness anyway? How do we define it? What does God say about what does it mean? And then does it have anything to do with forgetting? We hear the phrase forgive and forget. So we're going to look at all these different questions this morning as we walk through the passage of Scripture. No one lives a day without needing to, you know, to ask these questions, and yet forgiveness is one of those things that the Christian community does not do well. We struggle with forgiveness. And for many people, it's not even practiced at all. We have a counterfeit version that I'm going to look at in a little bit that we, we kind of, we might call forgiveness, but it's really not forgiveness. And so we're going to look at that. It needs to be a daily practice. Jesus modeled in, in Matthew chapter 6, it's not up on the screen, but he prayed in the, in the Lord's Prayer, he prayed this model prayer and he said, part of our, part of what our prayer should involve is forgive us our debts as we forgive those, as we forgive our debtors. Meaning, we need to be Extending forgiveness to people. As we approach God and we ask Him to forgive us of our sins, we need to be also extending that to other people. It's a daily practice. Um, that request in the Lord's Prayer comes right after Jesus says, give us this day our daily bread. And so we're reminded that forgiveness is something we need to think about every day. Is there anybody that I am crossways with? Is there anybody that I'm angry at, that I'm stewing over, that has offended me, or, or that I know that I've offended them and this is a big issue. So Jesus, he taught about this in many places. Here's one of them. Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 35. Let's take a look. It's up here on the screen. Then Peter came to Jesus and he asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? He poses the question. Seven is that sacred number, right? It's this, it, some people say it means the complete number. It's the completion. It symbolizes completion. There was six days of God creating, and on the seventh day He rested, so this week it's complete. And so um, some people think Peter asked this because he was saying, you know, that's kind of the complete, like that's, that's enough. Um, the rabbis, the Jewish rabbis taught that if a person offended you, you needed to be willing to forgive them three times. And so Peter, he's walking with Jesus, and it's almost like he anticipates that Jesus is going to 
ratchet up the standard that the Jewish rabbis taught and take it past that. So he kind of gives a little bit more and brings it up to seven, and then Jesus responds with this. I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. And some translations actually read 70 times seven. Jesus is saying, look, there's no limit. You don't set a limit on how much you will forgive. Then he gives them this parable. Take a look at the parable. Verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And as he began the settlement, he goes one by one. Well, he goes to this man. A man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. 10,000 talents was the equivalent. Today, it's a lot of money. Today, it would have been like, seven, some would say, 7 to $10 million. Like, huge debt that this man owed this king. The servant owed this king up to 7 to $10 million. He was, you know... He he had stacked up this enormous debt. And it says this, Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had to be sold to repay the debt. The king decides, well, if he can't pay, if he can't pay me back what he owes me, this you know, huge, enormous debt, we'll just sell him off. We'll sell him, sell his wife, his kids, and all his possessions, auction them off in the slave market. And so what does the servant do? This is just a story. Jesus is using this story to illustrate what he just said about forgiving 77, you know, 70 times 7. He says, The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, and I will pay back everything. He starts pleading. Just give me a chance. I'll pay you back. I know I owe you. Just give me time. I'll pay it back. Well, honestly, who can really pay back that amount? You know, we could take all the money here collectively, and I mean, I don't know if we'd be able to scrape together 7 to $10 million right away. I mean, there might be some of you that are holding, you know, this huge storehouse somewhere, but I mean, seven to ten million dollars, that's that's you know, not something we come by. So he starts pleading almost unnecessarily because this is well look what the master does. He took pity on him. He saw what he was asking, he saw he couldn't repay, he cleared him of the debt, he erased it, he let him go. He released him. He forgave him of this massive debt that was piled against him. I wasn't going to bring it up anymore. Then, look what happens to the servant. The servant, he leaves, he went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. One denarii was a, a denarius was a Roman silver coin that was equivalent to about one worker's daily wage. So someone owed him about a hundred days wages. He grabbed this man. Now, he had just been released this enormous debt. He grabs this man who owes him this money and he says, pay back what you owe me. He demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees. He begged him. Look at what he says. Be patient with me and I'll pay you back. Jesus, this, as he's sharing this story, he's using the same phrases. The same way that this man begged the king is the same way that this other man is begging now the servant. Be patient with me and I'll pay you back. This drew compassion from the king, but it didn't draw compassion from this man. And it says he refused. Instead, he went off and he had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, now the, the servants that were watching, they knew the whole thing that had taken place. They saw something wasn't right. It says, when they saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed. They went and told their master everything that had happened. They went back to the king. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled this enormous, he says, all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And in anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. 
Then verse 35, Jesus says, This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. You get this parable. Jesus is talking about something deeper than just the story. He's, he's you know, this, this master, the first master who was owed this enormous debt, really represents God. And the servant really represents us. The first servant who owed this, these talents, the seven to ten million dollars of our, it's, we owed God this enormous debt that we could not repay, and we plead with Him to forgive us, and, and He has. This is what's happened. We have piled up a load of sin, this debt of sin, this massive debt we could not repay. And God has forgiven us. He's cleared us of that debt. And then as we interact with other people, as we leave and we thank God for His forgiveness, we walk around and we relate to people that we have strains with or offenses towards, and yet we're unwilling to. And, and you know, it's like we're the servant. We're so angry at what has happened to us. We lose sight of all that God has done and all that He has forgiven us of. I mean, those comparisons of the talents to the denarius is not even anything in comparison. It's just so... One is so much more massive and He's trying to help us understand there's really no limit to how much we can forgive because of how much we have been forgiven. So it reveals some truths about the nature of forgiveness. So we're going to look at just what is forgiveness? Forgiveness involves canceling a debt. You absorb the cost yourself. The merciful king, he's, you know, like I said, he represents God, who absorbed a huge debt that was owed to him. When you forgive someone, what you do is you make a conscious choice to absorb that, to take that yourself. You absorb the cost yourself. It's not that it doesn't hurt when someone offends you, but you take it yourself. When you forgive, you're saying, I take the hit. Right? You absorb the cost yourself. It's important to understand. This connects back to what God has done in Jesus. He took the hit Himself. He offered up His only Son so we could find forgiveness. He absorbed that cost. And then second, you choose not to make the offender pay for the offense. You choose to, to forfeit right there your right to collect. You, you're, you promise to do a few things as well. You promise not to to leverage it in the future, to manipulate people. Whenever you forgive, if biblically what we're doing, if we're following the pattern in Scripture, you're actually releasing them of, of this debt, and then you promise not to use it as manipulation, as a tactic to control, to get what you want down the road. doesn't mean you can't ever talk about it with them again, but it just means you won't talk about it in a way that is in order to get something from them. Sometimes we need to discuss things that have happened. Well, actually, many times we need to, just to get clear and get understanding and to grow. But if, if the intent of the discussion is to get control and manipulate, that's where the problems come up. Also, you promise not to slander the person to other people. You know, they've sinned against you and you promise not to slander them. Again, you promise to let that go. Not to keep making them pay before others. The other thing is, you promise not to dwell on the hurt. Every time it comes up in your mind, if you've truly forgiven, what you've done is you've promised not to keep replaying it over and over and over. Because what happens if you let that go, that replaying, is the beginning of what we call a grudge. We form a grudge. Bitterness takes root. starts spreading. And it infects the rest of our relationships. That's really what you see in this guy's life. Karate Kid 2 is all about forgiveness and bitterness. If you watch the movie, there's a lot more than just that exciting scene. Great cinematography in it. But you got 
you got a whole storyline of just bitterness and unforgiveness as um, Mr. Miyagi goes back to Okinawa and you'll just have to learn more about that. But Another thing, listen, forgiveness is costly on the backside, but not forgiving. I mean, it truly is costly, that first phrase. Forgiveness is costly. You absorb the debt. It hurts to forgive anyone. It hurts you personally. It hurts me when I have to do this. But not forgiving is far more costly. That's what the Bible teaches. It's costly to forgive, but it's far more costly to not. Jesus says that an unwillingness to forgive will, will personally cost you because God will treat us, verse 35, in the same way we treat others. Like this blocks our fellowship. Whenever we decide I'm not going to forgive people, I'm going to have an unforgiving attitude, and that blocks my ability to really hear from God. It doesn't change my standing before God if I know Him, but it does break my fellowship. Verse 35 talks about that. Many other places in the Scripture talks about harboring an offense and how that's a problem between us and God. We need to keep things clear before each other. Now we're going to look at, well, how does that really work in a moment? But a committed refusal to forgive is a sign that we've, we, we don't understand God's amazing forgiveness of us or we've lost sight of it. Did you know that a failure to forgive will change you? If you decide to harbor bitterness, you will begin to change. You'll become more aggressive, more angry, more reactionary. Look at how aggressive the servant becomes in the passage. Pull up the verse 28 through 30. It says, the servant who was forgiven, after he's forgiven this huge debt, he goes out, he finds his fellow servant, look at what he does. He grabs him and he begins to choke him. He seizes the man by his throat. He begins to choke him. Like, Look how aggressive he has become. Pay back what you owe, he demanded. Be patient. The guy's asking for mercy, just like he was pleading for mercy, but he refused. He wouldn't have it. Instead, he has this man thrown in prison. See, his bitterness had turned into anger, which basically created out of this man a victimizer. He, he <clears throat> This is beginning to take him over. Do you see how quickly this happens? It feels so naturally to just make someone pay, doesn't it? When someone hurts us, it just feels justified for us to lash out at them or at others because of what has been done to us. In your own life, do you ever see an aggressive, reactionary side to yourself? I know I do. I'll lash out at people that I shouldn't be lashing out at. And I'm like, where did that, you know, I'll think about it, where did that come from? Or I'll, or I'll look at their eyes and their faces and they're like, where did that come from? It, you know, what happens with this area of bitterness, if we're not forgiving others, if there's something that's not right, it just spreads. It can get its foot in the door. Again, it's like poison. Don't treat this as something that's, oh, it's no big deal. Another thing about forgiveness is it's an event and a process, we find out. If you look at the verses in, in that same parable, then Peter came to Jesus. He asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my, son, my brother when he sins? Up to seven. Jesus says, no, but 77 times. There needs to be a point, though, there's an event of forgiveness. There needs to be a point where we do forgive, where we cancel the debt. We forgive the person that has offended us. But it can't just be this past event. Even if I have forgiven you, even if I've said, yeah, I've, I do forgive you, I need to be careful that I don't keep replaying it over and over. Because bitterness can creep in sometime in the future if I do. If I need to practice forgiveness every time the offense comes to my mind. It can't just be the, this thing from the past. I have to keep practicing forgiveness towards people that have offended me. 
We have to do this. This is very important. Also, it's not forgetting. This is a, this is a myth that the culture has tried to teach us, and it's, it's seeped its way into the Christian church. I've heard this a lot. Forgive and forget. That's what God would want us to do. Forgive and forget. Too often people use this phrase. This is not found in the Bible. The idea that, that, <clears throat> that God just forgets somehow. Um, it's not realistic. Our minds don't think this way. Our minds don't operate this way. Can you, have you been able to forget the offenses? If you think really hard, the, hurt, the main hurts in your life, have you been able to forgive them? No, you can't forgive and forget. And you're like, man, I'm not being a good Christian because I'm not forgetting these things like I'm supposed to. Why is it still in my mind? Well, it's because our minds don't work that way. We have memories. Unless you bump your head, then you can't forgive and forget. Unless you actually, you know, forget, then you're going to have to work on just forgiving and forgiving and forgiving. Forgiveness is committing not to bring it up again and use it against them. That's what it means. Sending it away, not bringing it up to use it against them. Jesus also taught this, that there's this vertical and a horizontal dimension. Look at this first verse, Mark 11:25. Jesus says, when you stand praying, now this is just me and God, or you and God. When you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. This verse focuses on our attitude towards the other person. They're not in the room, just me and God. But this is, this is all about my attitude towards the person that I'm struggling to forgive. Whenever we approach our gracious and merciful God, we need to... We have no right to just withhold forgiveness or harbor bitterness in our heart. Before God, we need to keep an attitude of forgiveness towards the people in our lives. And the reason we can do that is because we have been forgiven this massive debt that we could not have paid back. He he, he cleared that debt. Just like the parable reads, there was nothing we could do apart from God clearing us of that debt. He absorbed the cost himself. And so unless we keep that in mind and keep an attitude of forgiveness, it causes problems in our relationship with our Heavenly Father. That's what this verse is saying. Another thing about it is, look at this verse in Luke. If you go back to Luke 17, verse 3, um, there's another verse. So watch yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him, it says. And if he repents... Forgive him. Now, this is talking about reconciliation. The first issue, the first verse, Mark eleven twenty five, the vertical dimension, is all about staying right before God, keeping an attitude of forgiveness towards others. And when you do that, it might be that I've forgiven a person that I, and then I see them a lot, and they're not ready to talk to me about it. I can have a forgiving attitude and relate to them. I may not want to be close to them. I may, I may not reestablish or reconcile the relationship, but I can, I can interact with them just at some level. I'm not throwing darts at them in my mind. I've, I'm not dealing with a grudge, so I've already stabbed that in the heart of, I'm not going to let this form a grudge. I've forgiven them, God. As we do that, what it does is it paves the way for this to happen. For when I actually have a conversation, if a person repents... Now I forgive them. I reconcile. This has to do with reconciliation. On a horizontal level, reconciliation can only happen if a person admits their sin and asks you to forgive them. You know, 
I'm sure, I'm sure that in some cases there's some hurts that it's not a big deal. You say it's no big deal. But for, for deep hurts, for real hurts, unless a person repents, admits their sin, then, <clears throat> then we don't have to reconcile. But we do need to maintain an attitude of forgiveness towards them, which is keeping these two things in mind is critical to avoid bitterness. Another thing is forgiveness does not mean peace at all costs. And sometimes we think, well, as a Christian, I just need to keep peace. This is what God wants, peace. He's all about peace. Jesus talked a lot about that. But if you, if you read the New Testament, you'll see that there's areas of correction, there's confrontation, there's confronting people with their sin. In fact, Matthew 18, the whole chapter deals with when we've been offended and hurt by someone. So look at what happens when Jesus gives these instructions in verse 15 on how to approach someone who's sinned against you. If your brother sins against you, he says, go show him his fault. Just between the two of you, if he listens to you, you've won your brother over. But if he will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. And if he refuses to listen to them, so it's like, first you keep it between the two of you. Then you involve someone else who's aware of the problem. And then, if he's still not listening, if they refuse to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, now you treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. But it's not peace at all costs. Sin is never taken lightly. It's not taken lightly. The Bible says, hey, just make it easy for others to sin against you because you're a Christian. And that's what God would want you to do. That, that's not what we read in the Bible. Instead, the Bible provides a way for us to deal with sin in redemptive ways. Look at Romans verse 12, chapter 12, verse 18. If it's possible, Paul says, as far as it depends on you, live at peace. With everyone. Sometimes it's impossible. Because you've tried everything you can you could do. Paul says, Hey, strive for peace. Keep working at peace with people. Keep trying do everything within your power to clear up that relationship. Pursue the person in love. But sometimes you know, they're you know, sometimes they won't have it. Know, know that there are sometimes limits involved in what they set when we pursue them. So whenever you reach those limits then Sometimes you involve other people. That's what the passage was talking about in Matthew 18. You can involve someone else. Maybe someone else who's already involved. Maybe, maybe even you need to involve leadership in the church. You hit the point where you need someone to confront along with you. And maybe the state intervenes. Oftentimes, certain things happen. The state will intervene on the offended party's behalf. And they'll protect, depending on the severity, depending on the danger. Like If you're dealing with something abusive, then in those cases, whenever there's an unrepentant person who who just is not willing to um, stop doing what they're doing, you know, it's, it's not peace at all costs in those situations. But there are things that God says we can do. There's ways we can approach it scripturally. Here's another thing, question to ask. Do you need to ask for or grant forgiveness? In your situation, in your relationships, it's extremely easy in our relationships to just adopt a horrible habit a bad habit when it comes to reconciling with other people. Here's how, that, here's how the pattern looks. I do something, like I sin against someone, and I lose my temper. I start an argument. Then I say, hey. And then let's say I incite them to anger, and they yell back at me. So I might say something like, I'm sorry that I got you so angry that you yelled at me. I'm blaming them. It's not even a real, you know, I'm not clearing anything up. I'm blaming it on them. But even just, I'm sorry. Sometimes you say, hey, I'm sorry. And then 
the natural response for someone to say, I'm sorry, is to say, oh, it's okay. And so we do this. We say, I'm sorry, and then the other person says, it's okay. I'm sorry, it's okay. Oh, you're okay, I'm sorry. And we go back and forth. This is a counterfeit version of forgiveness. And it's deadly in a relationship. No one really admits any sin. No one really um, gets specific about anything. No one asks for forgiveness. The problem with just saying, I'm sorry, is it's this blanket statement. It washes over the specifics of what God says we should do when it comes to forgiveness. Because the truth is, it's not okay for someone to sin against another person, is it? It's not okay. It's hurtful. So define a few things. An apology is this. An apology is, I clear up an accident. That's when you say, I'm sorry. It was an accident. For example, if I accidentally spilled a cup of coffee on you, accidentally, I I bumped in you, I spilled coffee, I should say, I'm sorry that I spilled that on you. And then I should try to do whatever's within my power to make that right. Like, you know, can I get you a new coffee? Or, well, I guess it's my coffee, so can I get you a new shirt? Can I pay the copay if I burn them? You know, if I'm, I'm sorry, it was, it was, I screwed up. But suppose I threw coffee on you purposefully because I was irritated at something. So I was just angry and you blocked my path. You got in my way and I spilled. I threw coffee on you. That was no accident. That was a sin. I can't just say, oh, I'm sorry. I need to ask for forgiveness. So what is forgiveness? Forgiveness is this. First, I name the sin. This is what you find. You name the sin. I was irritated, so I tried to harm you. I was having a, I was having a bad day. I've been irritated. I tried to take it out on you. I wanted to harm you and ruin your day, and that was wrong. I'm being specific about what I did. I'm naming it. Why I did it. Then I confess that it was wrong. And then last, I ask for forgiveness. Would you forgive me for trying to hurt you? Taking responsibility. I'm going to do whatever's needed. I'm going to pay this back. But I'm asking them to forgive me. I'm naming it. I'm confessing it. I'm asking for forgiveness. Sometimes, you know, as if you're a parent, you teach your kids how to do this. You know, hey, you need to say you're sorry. You need to say, I did this. And, and so we teach our kids how to do this, but as adults, we do a pretty poor job of granting, asking for forgiveness. We just use the I'm sorry phrase. It's really a counterfeit version of forgiveness. We need to be very careful. Because reconciling is extremely important. Your relationships will shrivel up. We could do tremendous damage to each other if we don't practice forgiveness in the right way. And we have to remember what God has done on our behalf. That's this last point. If we have received God's costly grace, we can then practice costly grace with others. This is the truth. This is what stands in the background of our ability to have interpersonal relationships and to forgive one another. It's because of His love. God's love is so far beyond comprehension. It cost Him personally. His own precious Son was offered up. He came down from heaven. He took flesh. He took on flesh. He bore the sins of the world. It cost Him His life. We've been forgiven this massive debt. And so it's all of that in the backdrop of all of our relationships and the need that we have to forgive others. We look at things in light of the cross and what we have been forgiven. I want to invite the band to come up here as we close our service and invite you to take out this white card and take a look at these next steps. As ushers are also going to be preparing to receive our our morning tithes and offerings. And On the back, there's a couple next steps. One is read Matthew 18 and 1 Peter Chapter 1, there's some verses there. 
You might do a little Bible study on this. Just work through it on your own. And then share what you learn with someone who's, who's a godly friend who can pray with you specifically about things you're dealing with in your life. Second, identify any bitterness and ask God to help me trace it back to the unforgiveness. If you notice a lot of reactionary behavior in your life that you feel like, eh, that's not normally there, it's, it may be a sign of there's a root of bitterness there that's tied to some unforgiveness. So I'd encourage you to spend some time working through that. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just, again, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for sending your son Jesus to take the penalty of what all of us deserved because of our lives of sin. Lord, you took you took our pain, our punishment, the judgment that was due upon us. You took that. And Lord, we thank you. Lord, help us to remember and never lose sight of the forgiveness you've offered through your son Jesus. Help us today, God, as we sort through our own relationships and anything that might be wrong and roots of bitterness and unforgiveness. Lord, help us to see those. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.